Jill Lathan back the weekly pass, and we're happy to be here. My wonderful co-host, Adam Copeland. Uh, today's an exciting one for me. Oh, yeah. we're, we're talking to a guy today. Um, I'll let you introduce him, but we're talking to a guy who... Um, you know, like when you're a kid and you get a baseball glove, my dad always had a, uh, he found his at a laundromat. It was a Cleon Jones, like autograph model where you have the name in the, yeah, in the yeah, palm. Yeah. Roger Clemens is the first guy I ever had a glove of that was like the signature autographed Roger Clemens model. And, oh, and you, when you get fantastic. to be like a, a competitive ball player, you get your A2000 or your like specific catcher's glove or outfield glove. But Roger Clemens always been special to me because when you're a kid, it's different. Yeah, and I wasn't even a Yankees fan or Red Sox fan, but I loved Roger Clemens. I mean, obviously that stems from him being a Longhorn, and, you know, that's my alma mater as well. And just that nasty slider and that presence on the mound. And, I mean, you don't get those anymore. We have them like here, Madison Bumgarner. But just that stare down and just mowing down batters and, and he loved it I, something for me i just i like that gritty old school you know mentality and i think you do too Coach. well plus that, that's a great way to say it because the bumgarner thing i'm glad you brought it up and we'll try to ask him about it but the thing about clemens that was that was cool that i know bumgarner has and that there's some other guys who have it i think justin verlander has it in the yeah, game today does. uh i think there's a, a handful of a lot of closers have it they have an element when they pitch it's the fu element it's yeah. that i don't care what you're doing up there he, he said, I'm going to throw at Barry Bonds' arm guard. I'm going to see how high it goes. He said, I'm going to buzz <laughs> yeah, you high. I'll ask him about that, too. Yeah, I'll ask him about that. But it, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, he's the guy who, yeah, 20 strikeouts in a game, all the Cy Youngs, but he's the guy who sort of bridged the gap between old-school baseball and new-school attitude. You're right. And, you know, I hate to say this because people are going to, you know, disagree. I really think he needs to be in Cooperstown. You know, I'm going to ask him that. I mean, you know, I, I know he's, he's made a lot of comments about it, but he needs to be in the hall. Where do you come down on the steroid era, just in general? I mean, I think it's part of baseball. You know what I mean? And I think it brought fans to the yard. It was an even playing level field. The pitchers were juicing. The hitters were juicing. It was what it was, you know? And so I kind of feel like I'm not going to say condoned it, but it, it, it was what it was. And that's why Bonds needs to be in there. Clemens needs to be in there. You got Piazza in there. Why aren't those two in Dude, there? When you, it's a great call. And when you look Bagwell, at it. Like, I, I mean, hey, I, I, I can keep going. But you're right. These are these was part of the game of baseball. It's part of, and here's the thing that I've always got a problem with is people ran away from the game after the 94 strike. When yes. Sosa and McGuire brought people back in 98, whether baseball knew what was going on or not, I think we all know they kind of knew, they didn't care because it was putting butts in seats. Right. And you the know? commissioner was like, I, I'm good. Selig was like, I'm going to look the other way because it's putting people in the seats. People are talking about it. We don't even talk about baseball that much. I mean, we talk about the Giants here, but a lot of people are saying baseball's dying. You know, so it's like you think about that era, and it was explosive. I think. How many guys, when I think about Roger Clemens, can you look at them and say this guy might have been the best pitcher in the history of that organization for like three or four different teams? And you can make the case, but we're talking Red Sox, Blue Jays, mm-hmm. Yankees. Uh, Houston uh, Astros, yeah. he went and pitched and he for. dominated everywhere. And he dominated everywhere he went across yeah. multiple generations. I remember one time when he was pitching for Houston when he came back, he said, yeah, I didn't throw this pitch for a few years, and now I'm throwing it again. Right. Like he could can stuff and then bring it back. Right, and now look at his kids. I mean, now he's got this tree of, you know, pitchers out there as well, and infielders, right? Yeah. Everything. Yeah. everything. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. The Rocket, Roger Clemens. Let's get into it. Hey, Rocket. It's Bonnie Jill here and Adam Copeland with the Weekly Pass. Thanks for joining us. I love it when you call me by my nickname. <laughs> is that okay to do? I mean, I always do that when I see you at the I, game, so I, I feel like I can still do that. I, I answer to it more than my regular name, absolutely. Well, we're honored to have you on. I mean, you are one of the best, well, I think, the best pitcher to ever play the game, 24 seasons in the majors um, with four different teams, one of the most dominant pitchers in the bigs, telling 354 wins, 3.12 ERA, and 4,672 strikeouts. Seven-time Cy Young, 
Levin time, all-star. I mean, I could go on and on and on, Roger. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I appreciate those hitters being nice to me. Well, what do I want to start <laughs> off with, you know, you probably you still watch the game. And what are your thoughts, you know, when you look at baseball now and how the analytics has basically taken over the game? And do you think, as a pitcher, you could do that and play how in this era? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, when I, when I, try, I try to tell people, you know, I always tell them that I always enjoyed having a smart player play behind me when I was on the mound. It was great if you could hit the ball 400 feet or throw 97 miles an hour, whatever. But I need the smart player behind me now. And for instance, even in an all-star game, when I had the number of all-star games, I had Cal Ripken playing shortstop for me. He would get onto my pitch sequence of what I was throwing, or I would let him know. And when I was going to run a two-seamer in on a right-hander, and he's probably going to pull that ball on the ground, Cal would take you know two steps very quietly to his to his uh, right side without the hitter knowing it so you give away what i'm throwing and so that's kind of like they, they were doing the shift before the shift now they really do it to go with tendencies on how you face guys i think it's easy when i when you look at a, a spray chart when i face the guy 70 80 times and how we're going to go against each other again if i'm facing you know if i face pool holes 70 times or, or again griffey 100 times griffey jr um, when he steps in the box and I'm on the mound, he knows every pitch I have. He's seen me before. I know every stance that he's got. I know what he's trying to do. If a guy's on third base and one out, then he wants to hit a fly ball. So I'm trying to throw what I call my bowling ball or my two-seamer my two seamer down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a cat-and-mouse game going on, too. So, you know, I love that part of the game. That's, you know, what's happening between that 60 feet right there against the uh, myself and the hitter. Um I like I like the shift. Um, I tell you what, the work I do with the, you know, I do some work with Houston. I talk to quite a few big league pitchers. They call and we visit mainly about the mental part of the game. Every once in a while, a guy will want to come down to the house and me to show him my split finger or something like that. But these guys, you know, as long as they don't get, you know, over technical with everything and, and um, you know, the, again, with the minor leagues, too, with the 15- or 20-second pitch clock, I've been noticing a lot of guys that were really good pitchers turn into power throwers because they're just going with what the catcher puts down because that clock's ticking, they get up on the mound, they get the signal. And so they have no thought process on what they're trying to do or how to pitch or how to break this hitter down. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot there to kind of chew on without making it too complicated, and you want to pitch to the shift. And, uh, and different things like that with guys. There's also, guys, there's teams that, you know, for me, when I, when I get to sit in and listen, there's, there's a handful of teams that want all their minor league guys now making their outs in the air. Mm-hmm. So they want them hacking and swinging up. That's where you've seen a lot of strikeouts. And then two or three other teams are saying, no, we want, we want you to try and hit the ball on the ground, hit line drive. So you just got to be up to date with whose velocity is doing what. Um, and, again, I tell the youngsters, whether it be – the, the high school dads or the college dads is, hey, work on what your strengths are. Keep those. You know what your weaknesses are. Work really hard on those. And uh, But when you get – when you know, you, you work on all that in the cage work or your tee work, once you get in the game, it's just game on. You want to see ball and get the barrel on it. And uh, if you're a pitcher, you want to make sure your mechanics are solid so you can handle the longevity and the stress of the, the, the entire season. Now, Roger, you were speaking about throwing heat earlier. Pitcher's velocity is up, and what do you think you they would contribute that to? Because, you know, the hardest, I think, you threw with 98 miles per hour fastball or hard-breaking ball. Um, right now, velocity is up. 
So what would yeah. you think? Well, I mean, you you know, I, I never want to be one of the guys that, you know, when I played this and that, but some of these guys, you only have to go a starting pitcher five innings, mm-hmm. give up four runs, you get an attaboy and a pat on the back, and you turn it loose to these guys who are really, when you're talking about speed um, and your, your bullpen guys that throw extremely hard, they're power throwers. So we're hoping, and those guys will make mistakes. I also tell the guys that it doesn't matter really how hard you throw in a big league. Most of the big league hitters can put wood on a bullet. I mean, they, they don't care about your velocity. And and these guys make mistakes. That's why you see come crunch time and playoff time, when the lights are the brightest, these guys throwing extremely hard. If we can get a reliever in there and get him uh, maybe on game one or game two and stretch him out to 20, 22 pitches, 25 pitches, and then he's got to come back in the next night, he's not going to be as sharp because they're not built for that. They're built to just turn it loose. I was a power pitcher. I wasn't a power thrower. Mm-hmm. So even when I didn't have my 97, 98, and I was sitting at 92 with my split, I'm still going to get you. You know, I'm going to get you. I'm, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one good pitch to hit, probably. And if you miss it, I got you. Roger Clemens, a voice you hear on the weekly pass. I, I'm glad you mentioned pitchers or starters or openers, whatever they're calling them now. Guys that'll only go a handful of innings. I, I imagine that that would mean you can approach a lineup a little bit differently. Back in your day, you're expecting to go seven, eight, sometimes nine innings. Would you? How would you pitch a guy early in a game versus when you knew you were going to see him a third time through? Because I think that's the philosophy that's changed in the game is guys know they're not going to see that lineup a third time. Yeah, dead on. I mean, uh, hey, I think that, you know, that was the big deal. Like um, in the mid-'80s when I was pitching all the way really through the to, to 2000, um, you know, we we didn't. I didn't really care for the pitching coach or the manager to be come getting the ball from me in the eighth inning. I was trying to finish that game off, especially if I knew my bullpen had been taxed a couple of days before, where I couldn't go out there and lay an egg in three innings or something. I knew I had to go eight innings. I was also on a great relationship with the pitching coaches by telling them, even when I got older, pitching till you know when I was forty-five, that they say it looks like you're running out of gas. And I said, all right, give me one hitter at a time, and that was my signal that when I went to the mound in the eighth inning. Um, I knew that if I walked that guy or gave up base hit, I'm basically coming out of the game. So it gave me a little extra uh, incentive to, to make that happen. Um, it was hard because you would – back. I can't tell you how many times you would throw six, seven innings, eight, go, go eight innings probably, and then you were going to face the same team five days later at third ballpark. So you're seeing these guys over and over. That's why I always told them. Mariano Rivera was great, but you might only get one or two at-bats off Mo during the season. And then, boom, you see us in the playoffs, and here he comes, maybe for two innings. And you, you, you might have where, – where the guy standing against me might have 70 at-bats against me, he's only got two against Rivera. And so, um, you know, big, big difference, even though most Mo, – Mo, I mean, he was great. Don't get, I'm not trying to belittle it by any way. He was with that cutter and stuff. He knew, Mo knew how to pitch. That's what I loved about him. It was as fun for me watching him pitch as it was when I was 23, 24 in Boston – and we signed Tom Seaver. I got to watch the ultimate <laughs> power pitcher. You know, you got to watch a guy that knew how to pitch at his age. And, uh, but, you know, that's the way I was brought up, man. That's, you know, I, like I said, in high school, I didn't throw very hard, but I had a great curveball. My coach said that if they turned the lights out in the stadium, I could probably throw up a strike. So, uh, and uh, so, uh, but, you know, it was, you know, that, that's exactly the way it is. Now, I don't know if it has to do, you know, I'm, Money's money. I mean, what you're paying the guys, you want to just keep them healthy. I think, like I said, early in my career, they kept an eye on my pitch count. Middle of my career, not so much. Then the latter part of my career, probably from 37 years of age to 45, they watched me closely because they wanted me 
fresh in late September and playoffs. It's all good stuff, man. You're talking. You talk to any great pitcher. I think they talk about the difference between a thrower and a pitcher. And you're, you're giving us the description there. You mentioned your pitching coaches, and I, I want to touch on Mel Stottlemyre, who we lost earlier this year. You got him as a pitching coach later in your career once you joined the Yankees and. 98, 99, I guess it was. Uh, like how, what's the relationship like with a guy like you? You've come in with multiple Cy Young Awards. You've won ERA crowns. And, of course, Mel Stoudemire, one of the longtime, you know, legendary Yankees, multi-time All-Star. Uh, how, do, how do you guys get together to work on a game plan? Because it's less, I think, of him teaching you, right, than it is more about game planning together for a lineup. Right, exactly. Mel was great on game planning, telling us, hey, we go through a lineup. He, he would stress it in front of us. Uh, veteran players, but because he wanted the young pitchers to hear it loud and clear also is that, hey, when this guy comes to the plate, he's hot. He's hitting everything away. He's hitting breaking balls really well. We're not only going to pitch him in, we're going to pitch him in in, and we're going to make him feel uncomfortable pitch, pitching him in. So he, he would do that. Mel was funny. Um, loved him. Uh, Mel was my watchful eyes. Just about every, you know, I had some great pitching coaches, and Mel definitely right there, and he would watch uh, my hot points, whether you know, my to keep my chin down at certain times, keep my you know my front shoulder being my steering wheel, keep it quiet and closed, my backside, my power side. So I, I had three or four hot points that he was my eyes. So he could just whistle from the dugout when I was doing something. If I was not staying back, he would motion his arms to kind of like push me back to stay back. And then I can – and I, I stress this with the young players. You should be able to put that into play within two pitches to be your own pitching coach so he doesn't have to come out there, give you a breather, try and calm you down, whatever he's going to do. Uh, you know, and Mel was funny. Like I said, there was a couple of places, tough stadiums as Yankees, you know, we Yankees, you go. And uh, I remember one time I was warming up and there were a bunch of drunk dudes hanging out over the bullpen, just wearing me out while I was warming up. <laughs> wearing you up? Oh, yeah, wearing me out. They're, we're going to kick your butt tonight, Rocket. You're brutal. And we're going to wear you out in this. And then they're just going at me. And you're keeping that PC right awesome. now, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so they're killing me. And, uh, and it was awesome because they were, you know, swearing at me and stuff like that, and they were wanting to go and go and go, and boom, the guy goes, ladies and gentlemen, please stand for that. So they had to shut up for two minutes because the anthem came on. So it's like the most – it was the only two-minute peace and quiet I got. And then as soon as they said home of the brave, they started back in on me. And one guy did a did a ragged on me pretty good. It was a, it was a really good one, whatever it was, because I was locked in. Mel would always stand next to me on the mound, and he'd have a towel on his shoulder so I could wipe the sweat off my face. And he'd have me a cup of water when I was ready to take a breather. And he's standing next to me, and this this dude hollered something at me. And it was a good one. I have to give him credit. And Mel's got his hand up by his mouth, and he's snickering. He's laughing. And, I, and I'm serious. I'm, I'm locked in here getting ready to pitch in a few minutes, go out to the main mound. And I look over, and I see him kind of – his shoulder's kind of laughing. And I go, oh, you thought that was friggin' funny, huh, Mel? He goes, Rock, you have to admit that was a good one. I go, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> oh, so we had we had fun together. We missed him. One of my other really cool moments since y'all asked, uh, I, w- I pitched the first game back there. You know, we had that big game um, when President Bush came out from 9-11 to throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. It was game three, and I was warming up, and we're in we're in the outfield bullpen there at Old Yankee Stadium, which is like uh, the best seat in the house to see the half bowl of Yankee Stadium with you know fifty thousand people. And I stopped warming up right when uh, uh, President Bush came out to throw out the pitch. Mel goes, "Everything all right?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm going to stop. Let's turn around because I want to watch this. Uh, I want you and I just sit here and watch, take this in and watch this." And he wound up, President wound up through a fir- perfect strike and. Uh, everybody's cameras lit up. I mean, it was like a Christmas tree in, in the upper deck. So 
that was another really cool moment that Mel and I got to share together. And I lost another one of my pitching coach, Bill Fisher. And Fish was my pitching coach for a long time with the Red Sox. Uh, he was with me when I had my 20 strikeout game. And um, Fish made point to tell me that uh, to, to this day, Fish um, still holds the record, the major league record, I think 81 or 89 innings without issuing a walk. Um, uh, I think Maddox at one point got real close to it, but that's, it just tells you how difficult that is. But uh, when I struck out 20 uh, fish after the game while I was ice in my arm and everybody else just about went home, he walked over and he, he called me Smokey uh, uh, for Smokey Joe Wood. And uh, he said, Smokey, he goes, I'm real proud that you struck out 20 and set the major league record. He goes, but I'm more proud that you didn't walk a guy in this game. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, so coming from fish, it was a huge compliment. Now, Rocket, you grew up, actually, you were born in Dayton, Ohio, and then you moved to right. Texas and grew up in Texas. Who were some of your yep. idols growing up or some, some of the guys in the bigs at that time that you looked up to? Yeah, so when my father passed away up north, my mother, um, you know, I got to give, you know, all the credit in the world to my mother and my grandmother. My mother picked us up, six of us. My brother uh, went to Vietnam, got stationed at Fort Hood, and we ended up in Texas, and uh, my mother worked three jobs, and uh, so I could have the sweet glove and the cool pair of cleats like, you know, everybody else. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I obviously being in high school, I got to watch Nolan Ryan warm up, um, uh, number. <laughs> yeah. And the Astrodome, I mean, the Astrodome, Nolan's down there warming up throwing 95 and then the Astrodome with the catcher, with the new mitt sounds like 105. And it was just like popping that mitt. And, uh, it was cool for me too. In high school, I think there was a work stoppage in the MLB, and uh, we're out on the practice field uh, in high school and walks through the gate. It was like a field of dreams moment. Was Walked through the gate was Jose Cruz Jr., Terry Poole, and uh, Vern Rule. Three of the Astros players came out to work out with us. And I got to visit with them as a 17-year-old senior or 16-year-old sophomore, whatever I was. And uh, so that was a real cool moment. Uh, like I alluded to earlier, I got to pitch with Seaver uh, for a short period of time in Boston. Uh, with Bill Fisher as our pitching coach. Fish was his pitching coach with the Reds at one point. Um, and then fun for me is I wanted to get to, um, you know, I wanted to get to uh, the major league uh, to face. My my, my goal, I, one of my favorite players of all time was Reggie Jackson. And so I wanted to get to the, um, you know, I wanted to get to big league so I could face him. And I was able to do that when he was with the California Angels. Now, there's so many pitchers nowadays, Roger, that really look up to you. And when you look at the guys of current era, what pitcher do you think reminds you of yourself? Man, there's a lot of you good paused. ones. I mean, like I said, <laughs> uh, there, there, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. You know, watching, uh, you know, I, you know, I, Charlie Morton's with the, the, the Tampa Bay now, but I love Charlie when he was pitching for the Astros, getting to watch him. I talked to Verlander. He, he's, uh, you know, living in Houston now with his, mm-hmm. with his bride and, and their new little family. Um, so we, we talk every little bit, uh, and you know, when we get out on the golf course, we can really visit, uh, it's a good time to get out there and, and, uh, and talk shop a little bit. Um, you know, Justin still features the ball, you know, in the upper part of the letters and he, he exploits both, both parts of the zone up and down with his changeup and, and his curveball. So, um, there's some, there's some really good pitchers I love. And when I, when I see a guy, I'll, I'll text, uh, one of the, somebody, the manager or the pitching coach on the team and say, I love this guy. I love this guy's mechanics. I love the way he presents himself on the mound. And uh, and then, you know, I'll get a nice response from the kid, and then we strike up a relationship like that. And they, they ask questions of how 
different things that I did. And I would tell them by my experiences that after a certain amount of years, I had to back off my road work a little bit as I got older, but I had to do this. And I started swimming more. I started doing this or this with my shoulder. Tell them how religious, you know, the reason why I can pitch in a friggin' alumni game like I did, my boys thought, I thought mom was going to fall off in that game. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is all fun and games. They're like, I'm pitching a Texas alumni game. I'm 56 and I'm pitching against 21 year olds. And it, when they remove the L screen that you have out there to protect you, it's not a lot of fun with kids with metal bats. So, but both my boys ran up and said, dad, this is really cool. And I go, yeah, it's cool for you. I said, it's not cool for me. If somebody hits on that towards that, I, I, haven't, I haven't fielded the ball in 11 years. So, but uh, the reason I can do it, I tell the guy, I tell the kids, long toss, my three-pound shoulder cuff weights that I still do religiously uh, so I can go play golf and still throw BP like I do at the rate of speed, I still throw BP. Uh, and then your core work. you got to do your core work to be able to – that's why you hear these tennis players, and some of them that grunt, some of them grunt a little too loud. But when that ball when that ball's coming at you 130 yeah. and it comes off your racket, that's right where that transition is, right there in your core. Uh, Roger, Bonnie, Jill, and I right now up here in San Francisco, we spent a lot of time watching Madison Bumgarner, and I think some of the criticism he gets from around the league is about policing the game. So I'm I'm curious as to the area you played in. I mean, and I'm probably paraphrasing here. You're the guy who said you wanted to test how high up Barry's, uh, Barry's arm guard went. So <laughs> I'm wondering about pitching yeah, yeah. inside, guys who are going to watch the home yeah. run. Just your thoughts on, on the policing the game and the unwritten rules of the game. No, I think Barry I said about Barry is that he, with that equipment that he wears, he's still safe in Iraq, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I paraphrased. I paraphrased. Yeah, I'm messing. I'm messing. I'm messing. So, uh, no, and 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 Baumgartner, I, he's 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 one of those dudes. Like, I got a compliment. Uh, I played in the Bob Hope tournament way back when with Yogi Bear. When somebody like Yogi Bear or uh, I got to play nine holes with like Mickey Mantle one time before he passed. When they mentioned that kid, you could pitch in our air. That's really uh, a monster compliment, mm-hmm. and and he could he could do that. He's old school. I, he look, he, you know, to me, you know, I, I I may have met him somewhere. I can't really remember if I have uh, by chance, but I, I watch him from afar, and he's no nonsense on the mound. Uh, obviously, he's a pretty good hitter too, from what I've witnessed. But uh, I just like he's no nonsense uh, how he goes about his business. I think you do have to gravitate, like I said, to the game these days if in the early eighties, mid eighties, that if one of these guys would hit a home run and stand at home plate or pop their shirt and tap their toe. And, you know, these guys flipping their bats. Now that's not, that wouldn't have, you know, that wasn't going to fly too good. I have to tell my boys, you know, when you hit a home run, get around the bases like you've done it before, similar to they talk to the guys, uh, you know, when you score a touchdown, act like you've been in the end zone before, you know? And, uh, but uh, it's just changed. I mean, like I said, you got your walk up music now and, you got your walk-up music, and you have a little fun out there, and you know. And I've I've pumped my fist a few times on some big punch outs too, so I get it. But you know, uh, some of the guys are still some throwback pitchers from you know the old school days, and they like to. Hey, being intimidating, guys, is not because you throw hard. And being intimidating is like uh, it's a conversation I have with Jack Nicholas, the great Jack Nicholas. Mm-hmm. He leaned over and said, "Yeah, we're intimidating because you win." And you can throw 100 miles an hour and be brutal. You're not very intimidating. You you, you got to you know I, when I would go into Chicago and face Greg Maddox, the doggies out there throwing about uh, 85, 86 miles an hour with the ball moving all over the place. And I know if after the first second inning he's on, I, I can ill afford to give up a two run homer or something. I'm probably going to get a loss. Yeah. So this kid, this kid, he he uh, you know doggy knew how to win. 
Some of these kids know how to do that. They know how to be uh, intimidating just from having great mechanics. So you hide the ball, and the ball gets on you, you know, uh, gets on the hitter. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all that stuff comes into play. It's more than just see ball, hit ball. you gotta have a, you got to have a, you know, a little wherewithal. I tell people physically you do it. Mentally is the biggest thing. Mentally, I'm going to crush you. And then uh, last, you know, your emotions come into play, and you got to keep those in check. In 24 years, I showed my booty a few times out there, and uh, I got a phone call from my mom saying, honey, can you put your glove up in front of your face? You know, your sisters and everybody, all of us are watching. <laughs> so <laughs> but I, I said, I get it. I, I'm sorry, Mom. Roger, I think about stuff. Uh, you know, I, I was I was a kid watching you pitch, man, and and I think I think something that that kids and and fans love in general is the connection to the past. And you were a player who had traditions about that. Like you mentioned the game three at Yankee Stadium. I always remember you going out, kissing your hand, and then and then touching the uh, the monument of Babe Ruth's forehead. I was a kid. I went to Yankee Stadium, and I did that same thing because you did it, man. And I just can you talk about that tradition a little bit? Yeah. So you know, Babe's you know big time for me because. Yeah, he played for two of the most historic teams ever. I mean, he was part of the history uh, bringing it. Uh, I was very fortunate in my career to play in Boston and New York, uh, two of the historic things. My my record in Boston is like there's three or four categories that I'm tied equally with Cy Young, which is like so cool. Like people are like come they, when they wanted me to come out of retirement, come play and get another win. I said, no, I don't, I don't want to be one win in front of him. I think it's so cool that I'm tied with career wins with Cy Young. With, I mean, are you? I'm tied with Cy Young. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, so, and then you got Babe Ruth. I mean, Babe was the left-handed pitcher and went to New York and did his thing there. And so every time, I mean, he's staring right at me every time I went out there. So I'd always take my sweat from my forehead and uh, they should pay me because his statue is the cleanest. I keep that bronze statue shined up perfectly all the time. So uh, I love doing it. And uh, just, you know, it's, it's history. Like you said, there's so much history running around that place. The, the old Yankee Stadium and, of course, Fenway. And uh, it was a privilege for me. You know, like I said, when, when my boys got older and then they'd be watching TV and somebody shows a highlight of Lou Gehrig giving his farewell speech and the boys, what's cool for me is have my boys come over and say, Pops, you 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 stood right there where that dude's giving his farewell speech. I go, yeah, exactly. And uh, right where Ted Williams run around the bases and yeah, so I said, absolutely. So, those are cool moments for me as being, you know, I wasn't a big historian. historian. Uh, when I got signed by the Red Sox out of Texas, uh, my mom wrote me a couple poems about Fenway Park and started me on that history thing. And then what evolved from all that, I got to meet a lot of the Kennedys, which was awesome. And uh, even more so, uh, we missing uh, uh, you know, uh, President Bush 41, Gampy, who we, the grandkids call him Gampy and, Barbara, uh, we love them. They didn't live too far from us. We'd take them to Astros games, and they actually came over and watched my kid play for the University of Texas, and we got a number of invites to Kenny Bunkport to spend the night. So that's history uh, right there. I mean, uh, the, the guy, you know, having a president like him and a uh, sweet family like they have, it's, that, that's been, you know, that's that's been the coolest thing for me, and probably uh, I'll leave you with the, 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 the coolest thing by far was I was supposed to pitch the night of 9-11. That game was mine. I was actually a New York Yankee, um, uh, and I was going for my 20th win, a milestone for a starter against um, the Boston Red Sox, my former team. So we had a lot of friends and family in town when all hell broke loose in New York City. And uh, But what came of that was really cool was uh, General Myers, our four-star general at the time, went to high school with my agents. 
and he asked me to go to the Middle East. Uh, I think we went six, seven days, saw about 16,000 of our men and women. And it was by far the coolest thing that I've done in my life that obviously I'll never forget it uh, to be over there and tell stories and play pitch and catch and uh, do just all kinds of stuff with, uh, with our troops over there. So anybody that's listening and you guys, you anybody served, I had my brother served in Vietnam and I had six uncles that served. And so I tip my hat to all y'all. That's where you and I have bonded, not just being Longhorn alums, but we also do so much for the military. And I really appreciate how much you support our men and women in uniform. That's one thing why I appreciate you even more, Roger. Uh, well, Absolutely. Another thing I have to ask you, because I just, just so curious, out of all the hitters you faced, what was probably the toughest out or the toughest uh, guy that you had to face throughout your entire career? Yeah. Absolutely. So the toughest guy, so the big power hitters weren't like a big problem for me, even though, you know, at any point they can hit the ball a long way. Um, had the discussion, you know, say again with somebody like Pujols with Albert and that I'm, you know, I'm going to give him a good pitch to hit each at bat probably. And uh, then I'm going to try and break him down from there. The guys that always, that I had to pay attention, uh, close attention to, especially when I got to the national league was the leadoff hitter or the second guy, because, with other than Oakland, the foul terror in Oakland, most ballparks, there's zero foul territory. And I would make some real good pitches, 0-2 or 1-2, 2-2. And these guys so good with their bat, they just foul me off, foul me off, foul me off. And so next thing I know, if I'm an 11-12 pitch at bat with you one or two times, I'm not getting to the eighth inning now. Now I'm a, pitch guy, now I'm a six-inning pitcher. So I started just trying to change my philosophy a little bit is to wind up and throw a really good hard two-seamer quality strike first two or three pitches, whatever it was, I want this guy to make an out somewhere quick, ground out, fly out, get him out of there. Then I can deal, you know, with the three, four, five, maybe six hitter nationally. National, National League's a little different bird. Now it's changed too because a lot of these guys are popping the ball. But when I was there in the late 80s, early 90s, early 2000, you know, we had somebody like Soriano leading office for the Yankees. He's hitting 30 home runs, driving in 100. So you can't just lay the ball in there. In the in American League, you got nine nine hitters really. Maybe one guy's not going to hurt you. He's probably not going to hit the ball of the ballpark on you. But eight other guys, they they got a chance to hit twenty home runs, thirty home runs. National League was built for a little, little different when I got there. For when, when I was with Houston, a little different bird as far as attacking those guys and understanding that I didn't want to get a big long pitch count with a contact guy. Now, Roger, I'm looking over your highlights and awards, and I just got to go over them again. 11-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, seven-time Cy Young Award. No one else has done that. AL MVP, two-time Triple Crown, four-time MLB wins leader, seven-time ERA leader, five-time AL strikeout leader. I'm sorry. It's ludicrous that you're not in Cooperstown. I have to mention it because you're one of my favorite pitchers. And when you look at Bonds and you, and you're not being, uh, you know, inducted in, it just, you know, it kind of upsets me. And I'm just curious, would you be content if Cooperstown, Cooperstown never calls you, calls you up? Yeah, see, I have zero, zero, as you guys know, I have zero control over that. And I appreciate the guys that look at the facts and look at my career and what I've done and not into windows about somebody that basically was chasing my wallet. But we, we, we handled that. We handled it the right way. Like I told people, if I didn't have a family and the kids and brothers and sisters, it all hurt all them. I probably would have told everybody up there to go, you know what, yeah. to themselves. So, uh, but we did it the right way. A lot of people, uh, as, as I think the people that understand, they made a lot of money off my name by doing that when, when there was nothing there. But I tell, the, I tell the writers and the guys that do for me, thanks so much. I appreciate it. 
the ones that don't can't can't do a thing about it. And um, uh, to be honest, I didn't play the, the, my first couple of years. I played the game to make to change my family's lives, my mother's life. Uh, when I got my signing bonus, it was the biggest day of our lives. Um, uh, being being a number one pick back then, I think I got 121 grand being a number one pick. The guy that same slot this year, we just gave him 7.6 million. Boy. But, wow. but, yeah, boy, so, t- tough uh, era, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. That's that's. And you know what? They the guys before me. I tell them they were asking me about the big contracts, and I said, "Hey, the guys before me, they paved the way, so I could have been. You know, I was made the highest paid player. I think uh, five times, maybe. So I appreciate that. And now it's just, you know, like I said, just these guys that are making got these big contracts. They can't try and live up to those contracts. They just need to be themselves and play hard and and continue to stay healthy and put up great numbers. So, but again, I, I, the first two years, that's what I played for. After that, it was about winning. I I learned my winning ways at the university of Texas. Okay. And (laughs) yep. And uh, it was about winning. And I knew that if I did my job on the field, I'd get paid off. But my guys would handle that part of the game. And, uh, but the hall of fame is great. I've got a lot of cool artifacts there. I get texts and photos from friends and my celebrity friends that go up there and pull out my, my uh, there's I don't know how many pieces of articles they have but they'll text me up there and uh, uh, so it's really cool and 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 I appreciate it but uh, like I said it's not going to change me as a person either way to I think it's kind of a selfless thing I'd have so many people I need to thank I'd have so many catchers that paid attention to detail when I was out there I called probably 90 percent 95 percent of my game from the mound with just my looks where everybody else is eating their popcorn and hot dogs or the hitters looking at a sign somewhere from the third base coach, I was calling my next couple pitches. So I, I owe a lot of, I had a lot of great teammates. The the texts and the comments I get from my t- former teammates, uh, it means the world to me. Roger, that's good stuff. Well, we're pulling for you here and we want you in. So. Yeah, man, no question, Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, I do want to talk about your sons. Um, Casey Clemens, first baseman, selected eighth round in the 2017 MLB draft. And then this April, he made his double A debut. How exciting is that as a father? It, it's cool. I just actually was in Tampa watching Cody, the youngest one, got drafted. Yeah, by yeah Cody Tigers. and Casey. Yeah. 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 So I'm all over the place. I'm 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 spread like uh, manure everywhere. I think. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. I just actually pulled into uh, rainy, cold New Hampshire. So the coaches here know I'm here. I think they're going to want me to visit with a few of the guys. So. I'm going to watch the boys up here. Uh, I'm going to do a little quick stop and do a little thing for the Red Sox. And then I'm going to get my butt back home to Houston to handle some business there. So uh, when I can, I'm on the move. And I think my grandma said it best when I was nine years old. She said, there's going to be no grass growing underneath your feet. And I think she was right. Well, now, Roger, you know, before we let you go, I do want to make sure that people know that about the Roger Clemens Foundation, everything you're doing for children yeah. and for the military and anything special we should know about coming up. I love it. We do a lot. I appreciate that. We do a lot. My my foundation I've had since, uh, I think, 1991-92, and uh, we deal with at-risk kids. We've gone outside the box a few times to handle some really emotional and tough situations for some families. Um, I do some really fun uh, uh, celebrity batting practice deals. Uh, Actually, come to my house to do that. We do golf outings. You can go on the website and see it all. But uh, instead of doing, not really tired, sit-down banquets, you got to be creative these days with raising money for charities but uh instead of sitting down having a cold piece of chicken or an uncooked piece of steak we're doing some fun stuff on the golf course and in the batting cages i've had people fly in from all over i actually did four of them when the super bowl was in houston 
uh, had four groups over. One guy brought his 15-year-old baseball team. Another guy brought his corporation guys. So if it's corporation guys and stuff like that, we feed them Mexican food and margaritas and get them going, <laughs> and then they go to a ball game that night. And if it's the kids, we do James Coney Island usually and Powerade. So we have a good time with it. Well, it's a great conversation, Rock. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you get in the and when we playing for UTOU River uh, Red River Shootout alumni game. It's always good yeah, to see you there. Yep, yeah, you know that's true. So I appreciate y'all having me on. Thank and you so lot, much. Roger. Thanks, Roger. Hook him. Hook him. Well, Cubs, I think that was great to talk to Roger. I mean, first, Rock, he doesn't talk to a lot of people, so I'm just kind of honored to even be able to talk to him and get some really good takes, you know, from now to, like, you know, his Cooperstown thoughts to, like, everything across the board. Well, you heard him. He felt like he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. He feels like people have said things incorrectly about him. That's kind of where we are in in media and in sports media today is people can twist words about you and kind of say what they want, whether you come to the defense of it or not, and... It's funny because there are some guys who catch breaks. Uh, nobody wants to give Bonds a break. Nobody wants to give Clemens a break. I think, in general, people look at them as players who maybe cheated the game. And and I, like you said before we got going, it was part of the game of baseball. Yeah. It was an era of the game, and he was one of the greatest pitchers, not just of his era, of all time. Yeah, and not to reiterate, but, I mean, come on. You really, when you think of baseball, what do you go to? A lot of people will talk, they'll go straight to the steroid era. He's a, he's a top three player it. all time. Of course. Top so, three pitcher all Don't time. you think, yeah. at, one, at some point, do you think they're going to let him in? I, I think at some point baseball has to. I, I just hate the Hall of Fame process anyway. I hate that it's a bunch of guys who've never picked up a bat and ball deciding who oh, gets I've in. I've always talked about that. We, we, that's a story Someone for who does have an athletic bone in their body are telling people who should be in the Hall. Sitting there with a typewriter deciding this yeah, guy like you know, cheated never the game. It. I've never liked it anyway. You know, talking to him, that was that was a very cool experience. And we're going to be talking to a lot of guys like that. Pete Roses, another person who people wonder if they should be in. I think you had said you thought maybe when he dies he should be in. And, and if it's we get a chance to talk to him, I'll bring that to him. I'll ask yeah. him. It was a lifetime ban. And that's a whole other thing with Pete Rose because the game has sort of taken advantage of the Cincinnati Reds do a bobblehead night. Oh, we're going to hear a lot of, you know, big, big names, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it's going to go on and on, and we're only going to hear it here on the Weekly Pass.